1: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tech Done Different. I'm your host today, Ben Schmerler. With me is Wayne Haber, the Director of Engineering with GitLab. Uh, Wayne, welcome to the show. Thanks
0: for having me. Great to be here.
2: Awesome. Yeah, we're really happy to chat with you today. Since you're new to the show, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you know what you do and, and what your, your goals are, your day-to-day?
0: So I'm a director of engineering at GitLab, which you mentioned, and my role is leading a number of engineering teams that do a portion of the GitLab product and service. So currently, that's the secure stages, which scan customers' code and more for security vulnerabilities so they can make things more secure. The govern stage, which does more of the compliance side and the policy side. Also uh, anti-abuse to detect and prevent abuse of GitLab, both self-hosted and .com-hosted for .com-hosted customers. And also a bit with machine learning and our code suggestions feature, which is currently in beta and very exciting. And also growth, which does growth hacking to to increase revenue teams, about 80 people currently and spread, just like many GitLab teams, spread across the world.
2: One of the things I noticed uh, when I was doing a little homework on you is like, you really advocate remote work. I mean, I guess with this type of stuff, you really have to have people working remotely. And what Are, are there some strategies you employ to make it effective? I know, I know for some people, the remote work thing can be a touchy subject, but I mean, I know in the field we're in, the field you're in, it's a necessity. And so we have to do it effectively. Well, what do you do to, to make that work well?
0: What I do and what GitLab does in general is to rely on asynchronous communication to start. So you don't want to assume that you can get everybody in a meeting yeah. or that every, even if you can, that everybody wants to be in a meeting. It's, <laughs> it's actually much more inclusive to let people collaborate asynchronously, whether that's in Slack or in, we use our own product, we dog food, our own product in GitLab issues and merge requests, et cetera. And- If we do have a meeting, which we do have meetings, I think I have about four hours of meetings a day, which is is great. It's much lower than in previous jobs. (laughs) We don't have meetings without an agenda. We never review slides or a document in a meeting. Never, although almost never. (laughs) The slides are reviewed in advance, or and sometimes people actually record videos in advance. The meeting is about discussing them, and people take notes in advance, and you don't need to attend the meeting to even have the discussion. If you put notes in the meeting agenda, we'll read them out loud and then respond and take good notes and record almost all meetings. So those who couldn't attend can watch the recording, which lets people get body language and tone in addition to the notes.
2: That's really cool. You know, you talked about the asynchronous stuff. I think one of the things, I guess the hat, one of the hazards of having a mobile phone and a tablet and a laptop and Slack and all this other stuff, all these powerful tools or or whatever you're using, is that people have this almost this anxiety about expectations that oh they're going to get back to me right away or that they, you know, why you know I sent this message 15 minutes ago. Why don't I have an answer on this? Like our expectations are all out of whack. I know when. When I was growing up and, you know, for you too, it was like, sometimes you'd call and leave someone a message on their answering machine and it's like, yeah, it might take them a day or two to get back to you. But the expectation now is so different, but I'm glad you stressed that asynchronous stuff.
0: It really helps. And I'm not on call currently when I am, I have pager duty on my phone. It is the only work app I have on my phone. I don't have more email Slack or anything else on my phone. And it makes for a nice work-life separation. If somebody needs to get a hold of me, they, they know how to text me. And in four years at GitLab, I think it's happened once, which is quite nice.
2: That is nice. Maybe I need to take a tip from that. I know sometimes I'm checking my Slack maybe a little bit too much, especially when I I take time off. Real quick, I I do want to talk about some of the security stuff. You know, that's an interest to me. I mean, how big are these? I guess people who are abusing GitLab, you know, maybe spammers or crypto miners. I mean, how? within and, and ter- uh, certainly be careful i don't tell me anything you don't want to say but uh, how prevalent is that stuff and how big of a focus is that for for your group it's
0: it's definitely key because we have people can spam us both to get people to click on links for phishing and other things or just to do uh, search engine optimization uh, you know incoming links etc and also anybody who has a cpu for free is a potential target for crypto mining and the nice thing is we also collaborate with other similar companies, including competitors of cross-company takedown requests, when the attackers partially host their their attacks on multiple vendors, which they do on purpose, make it harder to detect. And it is a real challenge. We keep track of it for reputation. For our reputation, for our customers' reputation, and then also to make sure we don't have, you know, slowdowns and incidents due to crypto mining, and also costs, both people costs and compute costs. And the primary concern is more the people, our trust and safety team which handles the addressing the abuse. We want to give them really good tools so they're not doing the easy stuff manually all the time. They only do the investigations and the automation handles the easy stuff.
2: Ah, oh, that's cool. I mean, I I, and I imagine you have to change these strategies and take different approaches. I'm just like anything else, the the bad guys are evolving as you do.
0: It's easy to think, oh, the, the bad actors are not smart because they're doing bad things. It's not true at all. They're often extremely smart and dedicated, not all of them, but many of them and just as smart or smarter than the protectors are. So you have to keep that in mind and also their motivations. like why would somebody do crypto mining to make maybe hundreds of dollars u s? Why put all that time and effort to find ways around the controls of us or GitHub or Docker or you know or Atlassian or whatever and it's because, we think in the U.S. we have this bias of oh well that that's not worth my time, but it may be worth somebody's time. Who that's a lot of money to them. So you have to think with that in mind that it it makes financial sense to, for them to do so.
2: Yeah, sometimes we find that, and I guess this is common in the in, in the space of uh, hackers and stuff like that. Sometimes people, people just want to see that they can do it. You know, it's not even so much the the payoff is the is the win. It's not even so much the cash or something behind it.
0: Yeah, we've seen evidence of that as well. And there's the other aspect we haven't done this, but consider it is nudge the attackers or the abusers to participate in our bug bounty program. I mean, don't tell us, of course, that you are doing the other stuff first, but we pay people to tell us about security issues you find in our stuff. And I think those programs are wildly successful when companies can do them,
2: yeah, you're almost harnessing the energy of of ne'er-do- wells in a positive way, which is I think is super cool. So uh, obviously, you're not doing all this stuff by yourself. I mean, you mentioned you have a team. Uh, pretty big team. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I am at, you know, you all with all these meetings, you're focused less on personally on production and probably more on, on leading and coaching. Is that right?
0: Yeah. My focus is primarily about influencing people and understanding the why on things and communicating that well, and also understanding the scope and the Influencing factors on things, whether it's people I talk to, other parts of the company, customers, people such as yourself, Ben, from your perspective, and bring that in and the reading I do to keep things in context and always explaining the why. That's always key the why on things and really listening with people's feedback and their insight to understand their perspective. I learned so much from everyone else. And I often see myself as a conduit to help them succeed. I'm surely not the smartest person in any meeting or discussion, but I like uh, facilitating the discussions.
2: You have so much humility. And honestly, it really does impress me when I was looking at your blog, your LinkedIn, you talked a lot about something, you know, servant leadership, which I know is a little buzzwordy these days. But I feel like you really walk the walk instead of just talking about it. Just an experience I had. So you and I, had a conversation yesterday, totally unrelated to the podcast. And you had someone who was shadowing you. And we were chit-chatting just uh, about social engineering and phishing and and such. And I don't want to say his name. I don't know if he's given permission to be on the podcast, but he brought up the Barnum effect. And I was looking at your LinkedIn today. You already posted about it and what it meant and that you learned something. And I guess that's, you know, a lot of people think about leadership as I'm teaching someone. But but you look at it a little bit broader. I mean, you 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 have this humility that they're teaching you as well, and that this is a a mutually beneficial thing, right?
0: Yeah, and that's really key is to to bring people in and make it a conversation. And I just did the debrief with that shadow a couple minutes ago, and he wrote up a, a really detailed write up on what he learned, and I was like, so. So impressed with what he learned and his impressions, and the, what that reflects on how I do things and how I can do better. And it's one of the things I learned with doing the shadow program. Like, I, I came from a security company that before GitLab, that was everything was super confidential because it needed to be based on the types of projects and work we did here. So much of what we do is in public. And a couple of years ago, I did the CEO shadow program at GitLab where you get to shadow Sid C. Brandy, the, the CEO of GitLab. It was so eye opening. I learned. How he interacts with engineering, how he interacts with finance, marketing, and wh- and how open he is, and also how he gets help from the shadows, feedback. Like he did an interview, podcast interview or similar, and then he asked the shadows. He had two shadows at the time, including myself. How did I do? What can I do better? I'm working on this. I'm working on that. And it was so great. So I wanted to give back and do that myself, and I did it internally at GitLab. And about a year ago, I was able to open it up to people outside the company. Where they can apply to be a shadow as well, which I had to get approval from legal and a couple other teams, which is a little dicey, just to make sure I met their <laughs> needs. But it's been great. I learned so much from their experiences, and they seem to get a lot out of it as well, which is wonderful.
2: You showed a, you show a little vulnerability too. I looked at your your GitLab like about me page, or I hope I'm saying that right, and you were writing things about like here are some things I'm working on, things that I need to do. You know, I-, I need to watch out for that. You need to hold me to account for. Uh, that's not very common. Is it hard for y- for you to do that, or do you uh, w- did it become easier over time? I'm just kind of curious ab- about that kind of thing. I-, I think a lot of people worry about not showing enough confidence or something like that to to show that kind of vulnerability. But I, I think it's the opposite. But what do you think?
0: Yeah, I would agree. It- it- it's hard to do, and it's still hard. Showing vulnerability is a great way to make it easy for other people to be vulnerable and to have really open and honest communication. And it lets them admit what they're not great at. You know, you don't have the the syndrome of not wanting to ask the quote unquote dumb questions. Those those quote dumb questions are great to ask to really facilitate understanding and not have shame or imposter syndrome when learning new things and getting involved in things. And. I make it a point to be vulnerable on things like I use, I'm in zoom all day long or at least four hours or so a day. I use the word so and uh too often. I also have a tendency to ramble. <laughs> I don't want to talk for more than a minute straight without yielding the floor to others to get their feedback so they can internalize things, et cetera. And, I'm lousy at those things, but I'm aware that's the first step. And it really helped to admit those things. It really helps not, not the most recent shadow, but a previous shadow told me that they have ADHD, for example, and, and how that challenges them. And I thought, well, I had no idea. And I told them that, like, I had no idea you had challenges with this. What can I do better? In those kind of situations, but I don't think they would have brought that up with me if I didn't tell them the challenges that I had.
2: Yeah. It's it's easy to be open with somebody when they're open with you. It's it really lowers that barrier. So obviously you had some maybe you had a, a couple hurdles doing this mentorship program, just getting legal approving and all this other stuff. Where there's like some bumps along the way, you know. i you know, this is I'm sure the process for this has evolved over time. Like let's say let's say I had a person let's let's just call his name him uh, Ren Perler <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine not me but a friend of mine who wanted to be a better mentor to some of uh, of his colleagues you know what are some things to look out for you know maybe Potential pratfalls or way to ways to implement this successfully. Maybe things that I, that not me that this person could learn.
0: <laughs> I've learned this through uh, being a mentee, getting mentoring from others, and mentoring inside companies and also outside. So I also do some mentoring with Play-Doh HQ, which I've learned a lot from mentoring other engineering leaders, and also mentoring club. Mentoring club is also free for anyone to be a mentor or a mentee. So I've met a lot of people through that as well. It's easy to jump to recommendations. When mentoring someone, don't. Listen first. Listen a lot. Talk 10% of the time in mentoring discussions and ask them often why. Well, I'm having a problem with meeting this deadline and I'm really worried about it. Well, why? Like, you know, and you can go into the, like, is it really a deadline or what's the importance? You know, and it really helps to do that, to, to to really understand their perspective and ask them a lot of questions before making recommendations. And I would say also is, is again, be vulnerable. When the more vulnerable you are, the more vulnerable people will be with you, and you can have those real conversations. And that's really important in mentoring as well.
2: It's almost like you can steal this line from me if you want. It's almost like if you want to find vulnerabilities in your products, you have to be vulnerable yourself. Well, that's really cool. I I really like that. I, I want to key in on another thing. So you are a voracious reader. I saw I, your line was, and I loved this that you're like the Joey Chestnut of books. So do you have any like favorites? And I, I guess I would put this in a couple perspectives. A book that somebody who is learning to be mentored can maybe use effectively, you know, something, you know, maybe they're getting out of school and they're getting into this thing and they want to be able to take mentorship well. Is there a good book that someone should read for that? And then also on the opposite end, you know, someone who maybe is a little bit mature, has been into mentoring for a while, you know, something that could really hone their skills. Any, any recommendations or favorites?
0: I don't no, no books relating really, to mentoring really come to mind initially most of the mentoring I do is in the engineering with engineering folks is starting with the Simon Sinek book about start with the why I believe he's the author of that and then also specific engineering the phoenix project is such a great book oh the other's a uh, 5 dysfunctions of a team, the five dysfunctions of a team book. So those are more understanding people interactions, less about mentoring, but more about the people interactions. What I'd say is to be a good mentor is to start out as a mentee and then mentor others. The in the nonprofit, the mentoring club is a great, great place to start. Sometimes I'll talk to senior engineering leaders at companies, larger than GitLab. And sometimes I'll talk to somebody who's just at a school or somebody who's just learning IT and wants to get a job in IT. And it, it's a great combination to just really listen to people and think about how you would, their perspective and how you would respond. So it's really getting practice at it and being open to giving them feedback.
2: Well, this whole process, every way you make it sound, it's almost like therapy. It's really like listening to people, understanding what their needs are, understanding what's really going on inside so that whatever you're coaching them with is really something that aligns with their direct needs not maybe not what you perceive inside as what they need, but something that's going to speak to them. You're
0: the second person to say that to me this week that people leadership and mentoring could benefit from a psychology degree. <laughs> I don't have one that you know started in computer science but the more you learn about that, the better
2: It also probably makes you a more effective engineer you know a lot of very bright people are very good technically. But they maybe don't think about that human element, you know, just because it seems good to you doesn't necessarily mean that somebody who you're creating something for is going to see see this, see it the same way.
0: They don't know what you know, or they may, they may not agree with the facts. It's always bring the data to convince. So you may feel really confident that, you know, doing X or Y or Z will be very effective. Bring the data to show how you made that decision. And when you do that, you may change your mind. Like how do you justify it to others is real are really key. Like going back to security, a couple of years ago, I led a project at GitLab to reduce crypto mining, and this is all public, so I can talk about it. Is we required put in a change to require a credit card to be validated, not charged, but validated before you can run continuous integration jobs (CI jobs). Well, crypto miners can not do CI with those; they can do crypto mining. So. I had to bring the data on why that would be successful, what the negatives would be. There were some negatives. There are users that don't have credit cards or don't want to provide them to us. In some parts of the world and you know other other demographics, It's it's a, it's a real challenge. And we put this change out in production and rolled it out and got feedback. And some of it was really negative. Some of it was really positive. Like, don't blame GitLab for this change. Blame the bad actors that make GitLab and other companies do this. Nice thing about this is we now brought the data again going forward a couple of years of we want to optimize this and we're working on some changes now to make it so that uh, if you don't have a credit card, you can still use these features, but still verify a bit of who you are. So we cannot lock out legitimate users, but also prevent a lot of the abuse, which is
2: great. That's really cool. It sounds like mentoring never really ends. It sounds like coaching never really ends or development never really ends. It's always just a constant process as a discipline, really.
0: I would agree. The other thing to do is 360 reviews in which is related to mentoring is meaning getting anonymous feedback from stakeholders and peers, which is really scary. <laughs> like I read the, I do them periodically at least once a year and I read them like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I was worried about X and you know what? Nobody's wor- nobody's saying that, but I have a blind spot over here yeah, and people are really annoyed with me, <laughs> and, but, but nobody said it to me directly, but they gave it to me in anonymous feedback. So there are various systems you can use to do that. You don't use any of them. At GitLab, we use, I think, CultureAmp, which is which is just fine. I've also used just an anonymous Google form with three questions. What should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I continue doing? And make an anonymous feedback. If you do that, it opens you up. So you're vulnerable and it gets you a lot of things where you may not be aware of some blind spots, where you may be worried about some things you don't need to worry about. And that is, it's painful. It's a painful process, but it's painful in a good way as people are willing to give you feedback on what you need to improve upon and that they wouldn't give you directly perhaps. And Does't mean you need to index on all feedback, of course. You may not agree. You have to take it in stride, but I take those things very seriously. And I recommend it to everybody, whether you're a people leader or an engineer or otherwise.
2: That's really cool. Really love hearing that. You know, just hearing you talk about this stuff really puts gives me a lot of confidence in you and your team and and being effective. I mean, when you have effective management, you can really, make things happen and really get the most out of people and, and out of your goals. Before we wrap up, I wanted to sort of, I always like to ask, you know, what's something, one key takeaways, one thing that our listeners can do if they either want to be a better director of engineering or a better mentor, or a better leader or whatever, what's one thing, where should they start?
0: It's easy to jump into the details, but if you start doing that, you're doing more managing than leading and it's give people whether you're managing managers of managers or managers or, in, or direct or individual contributors is give them the guardrails, Tell them what they should stay inside of and then let them figure it out and give them feedback and both directly and indirectly based on getting feedback on what they're doing from your stakeholders, but let them figure it out. They are in the details and you're not, and they will likely come up with really creative and interesting ideas that you never thought of. So lead, don't manage.
2: That's awesome. Wayne, thank you so much for joining us. Before we wrap up, tell the audience, uh, you know, where can people find you? I'm sure they're going to want to learn more. Maybe they want to be better mentors or want to work with GitLab or something. How can they find you?
0: Absolutely. What you can do is uh, Google uh, waynehaber.com, about little blog there. And you can find links there to my LinkedIn, also to Mentoring Club, which again, is that nonprofit I mentioned where you can book time with me if you just want to talk and catch up. That's where you can see my GitLab, read me and uh, other info about GitLab as well.
2: Well, that's great. Wayne, thanks again for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy person and we learned a lot and uh, I really appreciate the chat. So thanks again. Thanks, Ben. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, uh, you can go to tedharringtoncom slash podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody, and uh, have a great day.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different podcast with Ted Harrington.